there is a bad visibility into OT networks of critical infrastructure. I was telling this our lawmakers, our Ministry of Interior, and telling them we often we even don't have log files. Welcome listeners to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here as usual with Andrew Ginter, the Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how's it going? I'm very well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Jens Wiesner. He is the Head of Section for Industrial Control and Automation Systems at BSI the Bundesamt für Sicherheit Informationstechnik, the Federal Office for Information Security in Germany. Our topic is upcoming changes in the German security landscape. Um, there's some revisions of a security law. One of the main changes in the law has to do with uh, attack detection and incident response. And we recorded this at the tail end of the Smart Grid Forum's uh, conference on the IEC 62443 protocol you might sometimes hear the venue still being torn down behind us. Uh, my apologies. Hello, gents, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, you hold the record for the guest who's been able to join us the most often on the podcast. Um, for the benefit of anyone who hasn't listened to the other episodes, could you you know, start with a bit of introduction? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and about the good work that you're doing at the BSI. Thank you, Andrew. So my name is Jens Wiesner. I work for the German Federal Office for Information Security, um, not to mix with the British Standard Institute, but our abbreviation is BSI as well. Um, I'm team lead for industrial control and automation systems. And Andrew is right. Um, I like to talk about the good work we are doing, or at least um, the work we are doing. If it's good, you have to decide yourself. Okay, and our topic today is an attack detection tool. But I understand this has to do with the law more than technology. Can you can you you know give us the background? Where's where's this coming from? What what is this? Being a bit responsible for having that in the law, the I will tell you the whole story. So it's actually not a tool, it's a part of the German legislation which was passed last year. And um, yeah, it's it's not a technology, it's a paper. It's paper. Um, and I was complaining that our German critical infrastructures have are not reporting so many incidents. I was expecting more incidents they should be reporting, um, but we didn't receive so many reports. And the reason be behind that, what, 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 not the reason, one reason behind that was that there is a bad visibility into critical infrastructures, into the OT networks of critical infrastructures. And I was telling this, our lawmakers, our Ministry of Interior, and telling them, we often we even don't have log files. And without log files, we can't do good forensic measures and we're actually flying blind in many cases and they reacted to this we don't have any log files with um, put attack detection systems into your networks and that happened last year in May with a two year grace period or implementation period and um, 
unfortunately, the law didn't specify what an attack detection system really is. So, Nate, um, you know, this new legislation in Germany is not sort of all by itself. Um, the American Congress passed a bill requiring uh, disclosure of security incidents by critical infrastructures. Uh, this was back the end of March. Um, don't know if it'll become law because there's other steps. I mean, the Senate has to vote and I think there's committees and stuff. There's other steps that have to have to be uh, you know, taken before it becomes law. Similar legislation was put on the table just six days ago in Canada, but again, uh, you know, has not passed uh, the House of Commons. Um, you know, the, the Canadian legislation uh, was cited as uh, sort of, uh, you know, yes, you have to disclose incidents and uh, you, you know, was the, the part of the rationale was to maintain a consistent cross-sectoral approach to incident reporting, maybe so you can, you know, sort of compare the, the, the state of security across different industries in the country. Do you have any idea of why that is? What's behind this kind of trend? I don't really know. I haven't been involved in uh, sort of any of uh, this legislation. Um, in Canada, the, uh, the, the law requiring disclosure is actually part of a more general security law that includes, uh, you know, mention of not buying stuff from Huawei and ZTE, uh, sort of consolidating orders in council into uh, a permanent law. You know, I speculate that it might just be that, you know, the, the security, the cybersecurity uh, environment is getting steadily worse. You know, the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine might have sort of triggered some of this that was sort of simmering before. In a sense, though, it's not it's not a new uh, idea. I mean, in the North American power sector, NERC-SIP has required incident disclosure since the very beginning. Um, so it, it, it seems to be sort of a broadening of that emphasis rather than, than something entirely new. So you've used the term attack detection tool. I mean, that sounds like an intrusion detection tool. Are we are we talking an OTIDS, you know, a network IDS, like we've had, you know, many uh, many vendors on on the show? Or are we talking something else? We're talking about something else, because an attack detection system is a mixture of technical tools and organizational uh, integration. Um, for detecting these attacks. That means, on the one hand, you need to have tools, and on the other hand, you need to have personnel evaluating these tools. It's not only that you buy one solution and you're done. It's, on, it's also focusing on the people being capable of looking into these tools. These tools should support you by um, comparing the data you see with some kind of known good with technical patterns that indicates attacks um, but it's not really defined as an intrusion detection system or an antivirus or it, it's not hardly defined and um, I'm currently talking about a guidance document with which BSI um, published last week and it's still open for uh, review till 8th of July. If you are German critical infrastructure and by chance listening into this podcast, uh, you'd be able to comment till the 8th of July. Okay, so you're you're talking people, process, and technology, the the usual triad. But you know the technology involved is this an IDS? Actually, it's more than an IDS. 
think of an attack with an, a USB stick, a compromised USB stick, which is plugged in. Um, this won't be really, it could be detected by an IDS, but um, a host-based application whitelisting, for example, would detect it much faster. Or an antivirus solution could also de detect it if it's an old malware or not a zero day. So it's not really uh, one technology. It's the technology which fits to your installation best or the technologies, plural. Logging is one cr essential part of this draft, of this orientation guidance um, where I'm currently talking about. Okay, but, you know, the usual concern that people have with, um, you know, regulations or compliance or any kind of government order, the usual concern is that the uh, stakeholders, the, the owners and operators, will implement the rule, whatever it is, minimally. So if I have an antivirus system on my host, am I done? Or, you know, do I need more than that? I mean, do I need everything possible? Do I need one of each? What what do I need? That's a really good question. So the, the law itself is designed that you have to um, have to submit audit documents which are produced by an external auditor um, saying you are state-of-the-art. You're complying with state-of-the-art. Since attack detection systems are something novel which has not been um, which you haven't had to submit in a special way since 2015 or 2016 when the law was uh, implemented the first time there is an, a maturity model behind it which with levels from 0 to 5 fr starting from um, I have nothing implemented to date and I have not, not no plans to implement it. Um, and then you have two years' time to get uh, to the level there are plans to implement re the requirements, but at least for one area there are no concrete implementations yet. And another two years to get um, that not all must implemented have been all not all must requirements have been implemented yet. So the wording says state of the art. I mean, that sounds really strong. It says state of the art technology. And there is also the clause that an external auditor has to um, check if it's really state of the art. But again, I told you about this maturity model earlier. That means if you haven't implemented anything at the moment, you're still you still can get away with it for two years. But after that, you have to show that you've done something, which has to be state-of-the-art at that time. Um, and another word, so if you look into, um, if you want to get away cheap, for example, you say, I've got an AV solution which is already implemented in the operating system. This could be the, the easiest possible way, but then there is this clause that you have to have or should have centralized logging. And this centralized logging has to be evaluated quite oftenly. So you can't just have it running in the background and saying, I have an AV solution and I'm done. And again, it also refers to 
events which are happening on the system which um, direct you to a Windows event which should be monitored. And there's even a phrase inside the guidance documents that you should use additional detection systems like network intrusion detection systems. So you don't have to have all of them at once, but you should have a plan how to implement them over time and how each system will will help you to uh, to detect attacks. If you if if the system you you're using is not helping you in the use case to detect these attacks, then you have no system. You should have a system which really helps you um, these the, with attack detection. So the the legislation you you, you said doesn't require a SEM and a, a SOC, a security operations center. Uh, but, you know, to me, it sure sounds like an opportunity. I'm guessing a lot of owners and operators are going to be, you know, out shopping for someone to solve this problem for them. You know, probably, you know, a lot of them on an outsourced basis. Could be, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. You need to have your personnel on site um, cleaning and uh, cleaning the logs or having at least in some some knowledge about what happened in the plant because if you outsource it and you get alarms because a pump stopped or um, a valve had a defect and you had to change it and then suddenly in the network all hell breaks loose it is not necessarily an indicator of an attack at the moment because it is an operational procedure which simply changes the the this the appearance of the locks in the system because you are working on the system which is different from the normal behavior so if you outsource systems um, that's good f to help you identify problems in the running process for the startup shutdown and maintenance phase you need to have people on site or at least to have someone able to um, to tell the second level that it's okay that something is strange at the moment but if and honestly we as BSI we are not we're not interested in these effects during startup shutdown um, if there are no attacks so it would be best if the second level could send us or if the second level would address us if something's going wrong, if you see attacks or things they don't understand. And we have also the um, the necessity that there should be a response to security-related events. That could be an automatic um way by just popping something up sending emails but it's not if, if you think of the amount of events which are generated it's not a good thing it should be something like a sim cm which is which you can correlate these events and if the if there are really security incidents behind that 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 led or may lead to a failure or significant impairment of the functionality of the critical infrastructure, it has to be reported to us. This is also written in the law and or has to be reported to the responsible authority because there are several authorities in Germany. But um, And 
security incidents on the network and by the, have to report it as well. And one thing which I didn't mention, it is everything is covered. It is IT and OT which are necessary for delivering the critical services. So if it's a billing system, that's for us not a critical service, as long as the service itself, let it be water, um, gas, electricity, is still being provided. But if the critical service itself is being impaired um, due to a cyber incident, then there's a reporting obligation in place. And it's, the reporting obligation says immediately. Okay, so, um, you know, the, the involvement of the IT system is interesting. Um, you know, if, uh, so you're saying, if, I don't know, a salesperson uh, downloads a, a, a virus and their machine has to be erased and rebuilt, um, and there's no impact or connection to the OT system, that would not be a reportable incident. Um, but, you know, what if, let's say, I don't know, the, the OT system uh, uses the corporate Active Directory system because corporate wanted the ability to, you know, delete users on a moment's notice when they leave the company, uh, you know, company-wide. This is a, a common design pattern. Um, if, let's say, ransomware, uh, you know, got a foothold on the network and escalated privilege and stole the, uh, the corporate domain controller, uh, you know, hash or, you know, Kerberos ticket and, uh, you know, managed to get a foothold on the domain controller and the incident response team got in there and kicked them out before anything got encrypted. But, you know, there was an attack that was detected and it affected the domain controller, which is used by OT, but there was no impact on OT but there was on you know on this essential system is is that reportable what what's really reportable here the law states two things the first is the hard criteria which is obvious is um impact on critical services so it's not that distinguish it's they, the law doesn't distinguish between it and ot they simply say um they, they are critical services and all systems which are necessary for providing these critical services that means an Active Directory controller is part of these critical services if it is directly connected to the OT, to the to the generation side of whatever. And there is this near miss, miss clause, the an event which could have led to a serious impairment. And this is the thing where you should redesign your network and have a second uh, domain controller with a trust relationship, but the OT should be running independently from the IT. So if you are using only one domain controller and this domain controller, and, and if this domain controller breaks and the critical services are down, it should already flag, it should already be flagged by the auditor as a design flaw. But let, for the sake of argument, um, that means it's a reportable incident, um, and we have several categories for these types of reports. And only if if the critical inf uh, the critical service is really seriously impaired, that means fifty percent of its output or more, um, then it's a red. It's it's condition red, and it's immediately to report. If it's below fifty percent. Um, it still has to be reported um, up to the near miss or down to the near miss. It has to be reported, um, but it's not so severe. 
what what we could do or what we do as federal office here we we are collecting this information and we are generating reports and telling others okay this happened to this in, in this industry or in this sector this could happen to you in in the same sector or even further um about campaigns which are currently running about um managed service providers which got compromised which have several clients uh, in the same sector stuff like that um but it's this near miss clause is something which is heavily debated and leaves a lot of room for um goodwill or for they don't know anything so we are not telling them cyber attacks with physical consequences more than doubled in 2021 For industrial victims, the most common consequences were production outages at multiple sites. Most of the attacks were ransomware. And 2021 saw the first cloud-based ransomware attack. That attack compromised 1,500 businesses in the space of 45 minutes. These and other insights are included in a new threat report, co-authored by Waterfall Security Solutions and the new ICS Strive Industrial Incident Repository. For your copy of the report, please visit icsstrive.com. That's I-C-S-S-T-R-I-V-E dot com. It still seems there, based on what Jens is saying, like there is room for ambiguity and interpretation. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to define a cyber incident. I mean, if you look at some of the reports that come out of the IT side about attacks on OT, you know, what do they do? They're they're counting packets that ITOT firewalls drop. Uh, you know, add up all the power plants in the continent and the ITOT firewalls drop a million packets a day. Therefore, we're defending against a million attacks a day. You know, this is kind of nonsense. A lot of those packets are just sort of noise. They're, they're not all attacks. You know, other people include errors and omissions in their incident counts. Um, you know, they, they say, look, if uh, someone misoperated a computer by accident, you know, well-meaning, but by accident and caused a, a, a physical consequence. Well, if the bad guys, that means that if the bad guys had got into the same computer and misoperated it deliberately that way, they would have caused an incident. So this is a cyber incident. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's there's no there's sort of no unanimity in uh, in how these things are reported. Yeah, there's actually a lot of logic to that in my view. On the other hand, it does seem like a slippery slope. Like once you start counting all of those potentialities, then you end up with reports that are, you know, much too long and much too frequent. Uh, that's right and you know, you know people use these numbers for different purposes. Um, you know, I look to these numbers to persuade people that there's a problem and you need to do something about it. And, you know, saying I dropped a million packets, so I defeated a million attacks, it's just not credible. I mean, nobody believes that. So in the report that uh, I just finished with the ICS Drive folks, I counted only deliberate cyber attacks that caused physical consequences. Um, but even that, you know, was debated. Uh, there were there were experts in the field who said, no, no, um, a lot of your attacks were attacks on IT networks, even though they had physical consequences because people shut down physical operations. Um, they weren't direct attacks on OT networks. So people are splitting that hair as well. Um, you know, the what the what the German government has done here is they said it has to be an attack. So, uh, you know, errors and omissions don't count. Uh, 
Uh, the attack can be on either IT or OT systems, any system that has the potential to cause an OT impact. And so by potential, they mean they're also counting near misses. So it's, you know, they're, they're wrapping it up a different way. Okay, except it seems like there's even more room for ambiguity there because what counts then as a near miss? Yeah, and you know, that's a good question. I mean, I asked gents that question. I, I started with the the sales laptop that, you know, had ransomware on it and had to be erased. Um, and he said in his books that would not count as a near miss. But, you know, what is a near miss? Technically, a near miss is defined as any event where if the circumstances, the timing or other circumstances of the event had been just a little bit different, there would have been uh, an unacceptable outcome. So, you know, look at the uh, the ransomware that that you know got into the, uh, the the salesperson's laptop. If that ransomware had been a remotely operated remote access Trojan style of ransomware, instead of just you know drop here and encrypt the machine I'm on, the the bad guys could have remoted in and looked around and said, "Hey, I'm in a power plant," and gone on to do other stuff and thereby triggered a shutdown. So. You know, to me, the whole question of what is a near miss is something that is likely to be debated. And you know, maybe this is the guidance document that uh, that Jens is talking about. If if uh, owners and operators in Germany are are concerned about that definition, um, he said there's still an opportunity to get in there and give some feedback. And I think probably the <laughs> the biggest feedback that's useful to give is is on what is a near miss and and what does need to be reported. The other thing that that caught me, you used the word immediately, uh, you know, quite deliberately. It looks like um, sometimes these things are ambiguous. I mean, when you've got an attack that's living off the land, you know, the attacker is using existing legitimate tools on the system for illegitimate purposes, and you might look at, you know, a little bit of evidence in the file system and say, you know, I'm not sure that's right. And you might see a little more evidence in memory or in the, the processes that are running, and you, you just become more and more suspicious. Um, it might take quite some time before you're absolutely certain. You might never be absolutely certain, but still there comes a point where you are, are confident enough to say, you know, trigger an incident response to, you know, so my, my point is that, that sometimes it's, it's nebulous. It's a, it's a question of, of, you know, uh, suspicions of an attack building up increasingly. What does immediately mean? Uh, the law states that immediately means immediately. So the first, at first glance, the, f the first, when the hair in your neck starts standing up, you are allowed to report it to us. Usually that does not happen because it's still not visible enough. But immediately means you could always redraw or withdraw um, your, your statement. You can say, um, sorry, we, we were wrong. And we are encouraging everybody to just um, tell us more in case you're, you're wrong. But um, you're, because then you're on the safe side. If you're not reporting and you get owned, you get compromised, we are allowed to put heavy fines on you. We're, we don't want to do that. And we have in the saying in Germany, if you report it, you're free of, um, of liability because we reported it. And if it's... But don't get me wrong. I don't want to get any every phishing mail, uh, every, uh, every port scan. It, this is not... It has to be 
it has to be something which could have led to a serious impact. That, that's th the threshold. And that's, that's dubious enough. The, the, the last part, um, if, you, if you are looking into complex events where the plant uh, unintendedly shut down, for example, there wasn't a safety, safety controller which kicked in. Um, we got this discussion as well a lot and we're saying just report it to us it's if if it turns out it was a human error it was a completely mechanical error um you just have to fill in the next form or ju you just have to click in the form one another another tick box and then you're done but um you're not you're not risking um that you you get serious questions from us you get questions in terms of could we help you do you need assistance and this is what wh wh why this reporting is there as well um, to offer assistance for anybody who is interested in that and we have uh, flyaway teams we've got uh, we call them mobile incident response teams in germany mobile means flyaway or that it's it's not the cell phone and we are we have capable people of helping you so you know me personally as someone who has um you know just a couple of months ago finished writing a uh, a report of you know incidents ot incidents in uh, the year 2021 um I'm keenly interested to understand what kind of incidents people are running into. You know, it's not just the the German authorities who are who are interested in this data. Is this information going to be available to the public in in some form and, and some level of detail? Some of the reports are already available on our homepage. Um, we can put the link in the show notes, hopefully. Um, and they're in English available as well. But th these are just three examples which we stumbled across, which were really interesting. Um, the other ones are compressed into the re re yearly report of BSI. They are just numbers in a statistic. Uh, we are, for, for German critical infrastructures, we are sending out reports. Um, and we are sharing some of the uh, signatures with um, with the malware information sharing platform MISP. Um, it depends how they are classified. I can promise you, if we see something interesting, which is n is more than um, ransomware got over there, or which is um, which is a novelty, or which we didn't expect or in the level of which we saw currently in Ukraine again, then be sh you can be sure that we are going to publish it after some time. And, uh, and again, in a sanitized way, you know, the German steel mill incident, and it's still not clear who, who was the victim, and we are heavily defending this. So we are not giving the information uh, to the public and even after, I think, six years now, seven years now. So, But again, um, there should, you should be able to learn something from these incidents. And at the moment, as I said, I thought we should have more.
So let's talk about incidents, if we could. I mean, the the whole motive for this change was that um, you know the authorities uh, felt that that incidents were not being reported. Um, my own read. I mean, I personally, uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, at least not for the most material incidents. I mean, you know, maybe near misses, maybe you know the the, the small fry. But if you know, if the the, the power plant drops, it's uh, it's hard to hide that. I mean, the the you know, I'm reminded of the uh, the JBS meatpacking incident. Um, they were down. Four plants were down for I don't know a day or two. Uh, they laid off all their workers for that day or two. The union went to the newspapers and told the newspapers that, that something was going on. It, you know, it wasn't the, the 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 owners and operators that that went to the newspapers. But the bigger the incident is, the harder it is is to hide. Are you are you really going to uh, to see that many more incidents? Probably not. But there are few things you have to take into account. Uh, one thing is pre-positioning. That means that an attacker can be within your networks and because you're not you're having this bad visibility you're not seeing them and you know these 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 figures which get published um that an attacker was inside the network for 200 plus days i don't know in this way were the it networks which have some monitoring capabilities for the ot networks i think the situation is worse and if something is going wrong within the OT network, it's usually um, a, a machine fault or a technical fault, but it's not really an attack. And to distinguish between um, failure and attack is extremely difficult. And I would like to answer you with how many support cases are in fact attacks which didn't get recognized as attacks. And this is something I'm talking with the with the support of the major companies and they are not with the major vendors and they are not they they don't have a category within their forms uh, possible attack it's always a support case and we don't know the num they don't know the numbers we don't know the numbers it could be something like nothing is happening nobody is going through this length um on the other hand when you see the numbers which are being published by companies in the United States or somewhere else, um, it always sounds like um, doomsday and we're all going to die. And as long as we don't have valid evidence or real evidence that nothing is going on, I'm not sleeping well. And perhaps I'm selfish here, but or if you see this cost co- cost towards effort relationship it it will cost money but at the moment with a war in europe going on i think we have to we have to put in more we have to do more if it everything would be kumbaya and we would be dancing in the uh, in the sunshine or in the sunset probably not it would, would wouldn't be necessary but as long as we're going out in the networks and seeing um, assets, asset owners uh, which have no idea what they have in their networks and not having any systems installed at all, even in critical infrastructure, um, we have to do more. 
So, Nate, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this initiative. I mean, you know, I asked the question, are there really going to be more incidents reported? Are we going to re- really see more incidents? Um, you know, I gave the uh, the JBS meatpacking as an example. But, you know, there's conflicting evidence out there. I mean, here's here's another uh, another data point. Um, NERC-SIP has required that incidents be reported for over a decade now, and almost no incidents have been reported. I mean, the one that it may it may might be the last one or it might be the second last one but you know the one that sticks in my mind was um i think it was a bunch of firewalls in the the western area of the of the continent somewhere um the bad guys had found a, a, a either found a zero day or they had uh, developed an exploit for a known vulnerability they searched the internet you know large fraction of the internet IP addresses for firewalls that had this vulnerability. They exploited the vulnerability. They took over the firewall. Um, they caught, a, you know, sort of by accident, a couple of the firewalls that were uh, used uh, to remotely monitor parts of the Western grid. Um, and the, I believe the, the operators of the grid lost visibility into a couple of substations or other subsystems in the grid. And they went out and replaced the firewalls and all was well. No power flows were interrupted. So this was something that was, you know, widely reported, but it it didn't even have physical consequences. It was a near miss. So, you know, if this is if this reporting requirement has been in place for ten years on on the uh, the NERC SIP side, and we're seeing nothing, is there really anything out there? But on the other hand, on the other hand, you know, the example that that Jens gave was the steel mill. This was back in 2014. I think it was 2014. Um, the BSI put out a report really only like three paragraphs saying something unspecified got into the steel mill. They knew it was cyber. Uh, They didn't say it was ransomware, but it was something got in, impaired the system, uh, impaired the emergency shutdown. And as a result, the, 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 the mill could not shut down clean. And when you shut down a blast furnace, not clean, you, you know, you wind up with uh, metal residue solidifying in the furnace. You, you basically have to destroy the, uh, the, the facility and rebuild it. Now they're designed to be restored and rebuilt because they know this is a, a possibility, but it was, you know, massive damage, uh, a massive investment because of a cyber attack. And the word never got out as to who it was. The BSI did not identify it. The press did not identify it. It's still not on the public record who this, this steel mill was. And, you know, with an incident that serious, you would think, you know, if I'm right about the, the, the JBS and the union reporting, if I'm right about that, you'd think it would have made it onto the public record, but it didn't. So maybe there are incidents out there that are happening that aren't being reported. So I just don't know. And I will be watching this space uh, closely to see, you know, what we can learn about, about the, the threat environment. This has certainly been educational for me. I bluntly had no idea any of this was going on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for, for you know, bringing us up to date. Uh, before I let you go, is there a thought that uh, you'd like to leave with our listeners? Well, if you're in Germany and you want to comment, um, as I said, the deadline is, is the 8th of July. Um, and you have less than one year for the implementation. That's nothing. For, for such complex system, for finding workforce, for drafting contracts, it's nothing. And if you are listening from a European country, NIS2 directive is coming. And I can't promise that there are no attack detection systems inside this new directive. And to my knowledge, 
if you are confident or if if you have no attack detection systems but you have a better means of knowing that you're secure that you're safe within the critical networks reach out to me tell me about this because at the moment i think there is no no other method no other method to ensure that you have a good clean system and no attackers there that would be the best you could you could do or which i would really love to hear about so that just about brings us to the end of your interview with jens andrew do you have a parting thought to leave us with i'm going to be interested to see how this works out will we see more incidents with you know physical consequences coming to light in public um you know I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. I am curious as well to see how near miss is going to be worked out. I mean, I imagine that, uh, you know, owners and operators and the regulator are going to come to some understanding, you know, an understanding that does not put an onerous burden of reporting hundreds of near misses a day or some other such nonsense, you know, on the operators and, you know, flood the regulator with, with nonsense. But, um, you know, exactly how that works out, I, I will be curious. Um, and by the time this airs, I think there's still going to be a window of a week or 10 days uh, if German critical infrastructure wants to comment on the uh, the rules or the uh, the guidance document that's coming out, especially when it comes to near misses. Um, if you are German critical infrastructure and you want to comment, uh, reach out to Jens at the BSI. I'm sure he will be happy to uh, get you the documents and get you connected with the comment process. Okay, then with that, thanks to Jens Wiesner for speaking with you, Andrew. And as always, Andrew, thank you for speaking with me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Nate. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast from Waterfall. Thanks to everybody out there listening. <laughs>